Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, hey, hey. Really fun interview. I recorded one of the interviews ahead of time. So in this case, you will hear uh, Joy Pullman, who I just had a great conversation with. We'll talk with her about her two pieces over at thefederalist.com on the New York Times, the gray lady, the New York Times, and what they've done in admitting that the Hunter Biden uh, laptop was real extraordinary stuff uh we'll talk with joy you'll hear joy you'll hear my interview with joy pullman and we'll also talk with our friend karen garnett karen garnett is the um executive director of the prayer luncheon for life i think i'm getting that national prayer luncheon for life an extraordinary gathering uh, of people who are care about pro-life issues and are getting together on uh on friday march 25th at uh, 12 noon central time um, and great people. And we'll talk with her about that because we want to help her in any way we can to promote that. But first, let's get to what you need to know today. What you need to know today is the Hunter Biden laptop story is not going away. Now, let's be clear. If the Hunter Hunter Biden laptop story had been a story uh, in October of uh, 2020, it probably would have impacted the election, right? It had to have. It would have had a huge impact. And so I'm not sure that anything that happens with the Hunter Biden laptop now is, is remotely comparable to what its truth was. So I'm not celebrating that. I am pointing out, however, that everybody knows it's real now, and it is causing people to pay attention in a different way. I mean, one of the things that Joy Pullman of thefederalist.com says is maybe the New York Times is admitting the authenticity of the laptop and all the emails in part because they're done with Biden. They got what they needed out of him and he's not going to be able to be sustainable going forward. Could be. I mean, it's a bit of a, a guess, right, going forward. But what you need to know today is the impact of the knowledge of what's happened is going to make a big difference in how people relate to the news going forward and what's occurring. I hope, I hope that's one of the things we have to hope happens is that in other words, people are now saying, I'd say since 2016 with Donald Trump, people are now saying in nearly every way that they don't trust the institutions that they've been told to trust. So whether it's the government lying to you about the details of the COVID, uh, there was an adjustment by, I think, the CDC in the numbers of deaths from COVID, uh, some significant number, 20% of the deaths of, I think, young people. They took that took those numbers away. They said that, uh, they were misreported. So it wasn't as severe as they said. We'll see if it all comes out. I mean, who, who knows to trust them? That's from all the pandemic stuff. Fauci lied about this. Fauci lied about that. Some of it, he really was lying, it looks like. Some of it was he just was confused and, and didn't know better, I think. I don't know. Maybe he was lying. But we have examples of, like, the Surgeon General actually lying. He said, I lied about, and Fauci said this, I lied about masks, I think, was one of the examples, and uh, PPE, because they wanted to stop the run on PPE. Well, they still lied, and people know it. 
And so now you go over and you say, okay, what about they lied about the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax. They lied about the uh, uh, Charlottesville fine people hoax. They lied about uh, all kinds of different aspects of what Trump was doing, right? They lied about all that. And the fake news is, was, it wasn't just fake news. It wasn't just a talking point. They were exposed. And now they lied about the elections and the, and the Hunter Biden laptop. And, and so remember, two of the biggest uh, stories – that we're told we must believe in right now. We must believe we were told that the elections were in 2020 were perfect. The elections in 2020 are perfect. That's what we told. The second story, by the way, is that Ukraine is the white hat and, and Russia is the black hat. That's a little easier to see. I'm not sure I believe what we're being told about Ukraine. I think they might be both black hats, but there you are. But let's go to the first one of these. Let's talk about the first one of these, these examples that I'm giving. And let's 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 think about what it's like to have to be told over and over by the media that the election was perfect. Now, I have told you I have talked about it before. I was the chairman of the board of the of elections in St. Louis in Missouri in 05 and 06. I was appointed by the governor. I went to serve. It's a big election jurisdiction. It's a big job. It's not a full time job. But being chairman of the election board means you're in charge of the elections in St. Louis. And so for two years, I learned a ton about elections. And we had elections. We had special elections. We had major elections. We had we had to purchase new equipment. Under the Help America Vote Act, I had to interact with local officials, federal officials, all that stuff. And what I learned was it's a very complicated system to operate, and it requires a whole bunch of people. So you have to operate a system, and you have to have good people. The system has to be secure, and you have to have good people. They're related, obviously, but if in terms of what you're doing, those are the things you're doing. And the third aspect of that, so good system, good people, and the third aspect is you have to talk about it in the public setting, in the public sphere, so that people believe the elections are functioning and they're working. Because if they don't believe it, they're not going to come. And so it's a PR problem, a PR challenge. And remember, in 2017, a poll showed that 70% of Democrats thought the election of 2016 was rigged. In 2021, polling shows that 75, 80% of Republicans think the election in 2020 was rigged. So there's a problem with right now with the losing parties believing the other side rigged it. But here's my simple question to tell you. We had situations in my short tenure, two years, of being the election board chairman, where we had voter registration cards presented by an ACORN front group, and they were clearly fraudulent. We had a situation where the absentee ballots were voting almost 100% in two high-rise towers in an aldermanic uh, special election, and we had to go out and vote them in person instead of allowing this clearly problematic, if not fraudulent, voting situation to, to, to proceed. And the parties... The two guys running in that aldermanic race, we brought them in and we said, this is what we're going to do. We don't know who's doing this, but something's wrong. And here's what we're going to do. Understand? It's going to be fair for everybody. We had to worry about the system, the people, and then we had to worry about the PR of it. Okay? What, what do we have right now? We, we, we're told after 2020 that we have a, a Time Magazine article where the Democrats say they, they, they put together a plan a broad-based plan with a coalition of people to fortify the election, to try to get the laws changed, the rules changed, to game the system legally, they say, and they bragged about how they did it. And then we saw that there were hundreds of millions of dollars spent by left-leaning 
rich guys. Zuckerberg is the big one that jumps out, but others. And they spent the money this time. Zuckerberg specifically gave it to election authorities and said, you need, you know, we want to help you do what you're doing. And we especially in this pandemic want to help you get voters out. And by the way, let me be clear. He who has the gold calls the tune, right? If somebody's giving you money, they're going to have an influence. So that's Zuckerberg. Those are the two things that we know have. We're told you cannot object to the election. Now we're told that the New York Times didn't take the effort. Facebook, Twitter didn't take the effort, didn't take the time and effort to authenticate Hunter Biden's laptop. They simply said, we're shutting down that conversation. So we have... Democrats bragging in Time magazine about fortifying the election. They say doing everything they could within the law to push the law, to change the law, to to not break the law, they say, to fortify the election. We have hundreds of millions of dollars flowing into places, key places. Wisconsin is the one that jumps to mind, but other places from Zuckerberg, who's got a left-leaning agenda. And then we have big tech and big media conspiring with one side of the race to silence the Hunter Biden laptop. That's what happened. And now you're telling me that I'm supposed to believe, and I ran the election board in St. Louis. You're, so, you're telling me I must believe that 50 states and a myriad, hundreds more jurisdictions, major jurisdictions, St. Louis County, St. Louis City, uh, Philadelphia, Montgomery County, all these different jurisdictions. But so let's call, let's call it 250 election systems. Remember I told you it's systems, people, and the perception So let's say that there are 250 systems, you know, the state of Missouri, the St. Louis Board of Elections. Let's say, you know, there's there's Kansas City Board of Elections that are significant enough. The systems that exist, you're telling me the 250 systems, you're saying that with all that attention, the Democrats bragging about fortifying the election, which they said, the Democrats bragging about spending hundreds of millions, which they said, right? Those are the things they confirmed. And then... The knowledge now that big tech and big media, along with big government, 51 uh, intelligence community officials saying it's Russian disinformation, big tech, Twitter, I think, said we're going to we're not going to we're going to fact check the Hunter Biden's laptop story, but we're not going to let it be promoted. Twitter said they never fact checked it. It never went anywhere. It died. So what at this point, what is the likelihood that you can say that the systems 250, whatever number you want to call it. There are some other, a lot more than that, right? There's a system for every county. So you could say that there's thousands. I don't know, 4,000, 5,000. That's a good number to figure out. But some significant thousands of jurisdictions, they were all run perfectly. There was no problem in any of them. Has it ever happened in a, in government, U.S. government history? Have we ever had the DMV in 50 states work well for at a certain time? I just, I don't know, I don't know if I believe it. I'm not sure you can believe it. I don't think you should believe it. And that's the question. That's the question we're finding out. That's what you need to know. All right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we will talk with Joy Pullman of thefederalist.com. We will also visit with our friend Karen Garnett of the National Prayer, excuse me, the National Prayer Luncheon for Life. Uh, Extraordinary group and what they're doing. And uh, we'll get an update on that because that's coming tomorrow. We'll take a break, everybody, and come back. Don't forget, please visit proamericareport.com, proamericareport.com to stay up to date on all that we're doing. Sign up for the daily wink, the daily email, as well as... Uh, Go ahead there and see these great interviews and pass them around. We'll take a break. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. 
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Last week, we had Karen Garnett on the show, and she came on the show, and she was talking about something new, something that I hadn't learned about. And so it was like, okay, what is Karen Garnett up to? And she talked about a luncheon, and it, the luncheon will take place tomorrow, Friday, uh, March 25th, and it will be at, let me get this right, uh, 12 noon Central Time, so one o'clock East Coast and uh, and ten o'clock on the on the um, West Coast, and it is the luncheon, the pro life luncheon, uh, National Pro Life. Oh my, am I getting it right? National Prayer Luncheon for Life. There it is, National Prayer Luncheon for Life, and you can sign up online. You can. I just I did this a few a few hours ago, and you can sign up online to watch it. It's it's virtual, and it's just a, it's a who's who of pro lifers. Uh, but the exciting thing about this, uh, and and Karen Garnett is the National uh, pr- uh, Prayer Luncheon for Life Executive Director. She's a, a vice president and a, a business called Heroic Media, which does great stuff. And but what's interesting about this and so important is. A lot of different groups that care about pro-life and life issues are, are together. And that's one of the things, whether it's solidarity or community or, frankly, um, getting the troops on the same page, we need more of that. So welcome back, Karen. Um, thank you for taking some time in this busy time to come on the show. How are you? Oh, gosh, Ed, thank you so much. We're just honored and blessed that you would give us a chance to come back on right before the big event tomorrow. Well, I want to make sure people know to go and sign up because it was really easy for me to do. I had to do my name and my email address. I got a confirmation right away. If you go to nationalprayerluncheonforlife.org, you can do it. So, um, Karen, explain to me what will happen tomorrow. What's it going to be like? What? Who's in the room? Some people are in the room getting awards, right? But who's in the room? What's going on? Tell me, tell me what happens tomorrow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, truly amazing. And, and I'll just begin by saying that this year's date, March 25th, which we booked last summer, uh-huh. it coincides with the day of the unborn child, which is being celebrated in, um, in, rec- you know, in, in a number of countries uh, around the world. So that coinciding nine months before Jesus was born that's that was you know determined to be the day of the unborn child many many years ago so the fact that our event is coinciding on that it gives people sort of an extra opportunity to do something very special on that day as we as we're coming together to pray for an end to abortion and the the mission of national prayer luncheon for life is to elevate and celebrate high impact organization so that together we can accelerate winning more battles and ultimately winning the war to mm. protect preborn human lives from abortion. So what we do, we have this one hour, what we call hour of power, prayer centric event where prayer leaders will lead us through the first 45 minutes or so of the hour with inspiring remarks and prayer. This is really a prayer luncheon for the the whole pro-life community from across the country to come together for this hour of prayer. And then at the very end, that's when we will be announcing live and presenting this year's pro-life impact award and $100,000 in pro-life impact grants. So who's in the room? We have our prayer leaders, David B. Wright, who, who's an amazing, amazing, amazing guy. Yeah. Amazing he, man. Really. One he's of the, a, he's yeah. just been a, I've known David since 2004. He's just an amazing friend, strategic partner, and he will be emceeing, leading us through the hour. Mm-hmm. We have Bishop Joseph Strickland from from Tyler, Texas. He'll be one of our prayer leaders. Sister Dee Dee Byrne. If you haven't if you haven't heard of Sister Dee Dee Byrne, oh yet, man, yeah, get to know <laughs> Sister Dee Dee. She's come in from Washington D.C. All of our 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 leaders are, are flying in today and getting in. We have 
Uh, Reverend Samuel Rodriguez, who is the president of the National Hispanic Leadership Conference, he's actually joining us with a with a recorded message this year because he's in Georgia the same day, but he wanted to be a part of it. And um, Reverend Walter Hoy, who is well, he's amazing. The, uh, yeah, I've had him on the show. Yeah, he's a, yep. he's a uh, he's a very gifted uh, evangelist. I mean, just an incredible persuasive guy. That's very cool. Well, and he's he's president of Issues for Life Foundation out of California, and he's one of the decades-long leaders of the National Black Pro-Life Coalition. And um, Kristen Hawkins, who's president of Students for Life of America, Kristen had reached out last last fall and said, Karen, when is it? What's the date? Because I'm going to be in the area and I want to come this year. Students for Life of America won the mm-hmm. Pro-Life Impact Award and the $50,000 grant last year. And, and Kristen wasn't able to be there in person. She had representatives there and they absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. So these they are our prayer leaders for this year. Great. And then our our um, our finalists this year, the six amazing organizations on, on the 2022 ballot that, Ed, we've had double the number of voters this hmm. year if nearly 14,000 people have have participated in the voting and we're so excited about that so they are embrace grace and Amy Ford, the uh, mm-hmm. president yep. of Embrace yep. Grace, will be there on hand. Live action. Lila Rose is actually coming um, off of maternity leave, so she won't be with us in person. But Ashley Brady from Live Action will be in the room with us. Then we have these, either alphabetical order by organization. Embrace Grace, live action. Pro-Life Action League, Eric Scheidler. He's mm-hmm. in the room. Uh, Pro Love Ministries, Executive Director Pam Whitehead will be in the room. And Support After Abortion. CEO Lisa Rowe and president of the board Janine Marone will be in the room. Hmm. And then uh, Ryan and Bethany Bomberger, who are the, they're just amazing with the Radiance Foundation. So all of them will be there. And this year, every single organization will get a grant. Hmm. So there's the 50,000 wow. to the top, <clears throat> then 20,000, then 15,000, and then 5,000 each for the fourth, fifth, and sixth. So hmm. it's, 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 it's amazing. It's one hour. And uh, we just really just invite everybody to join us. Yes, definitely register that you will get the, the confirmation and yeah. a reminder. But it, I want to say, too, it will also be streaming on our social media platforms. Oh, good. So, okay. Um, yeah. Our Great. Facebook, our Twitter, yeah. our Instagram, and our YouTube channel. So, uh, yeah, we're just inviting everybody. Mm. And yeah. thank you well, so much. One of the things that's great, Karen, I have to say, I know you know this, but and you learned this, but um, one hour is good. Just enough time. Too many things go too long. I'm being serious, right? If you tell me one hour, I can say, okay, I'm going to make that time for my, you know, for me, I'm in the East Coast. So to be one till two o'clock, I can make that time for an hour. If it, mm-hmm. you know, if somebody says, I got to, frankly, got to go to an event, I got to drive there and all this, it's a perfect thing. And again, let me say again, National Prayer Luncheon for life.org national prayer for life.org now uh karen i do want to give you one more thing for the catholics in the audience and there's lots of listeners it is of course the 25th of march is the feast of the annunciation yes. which is when uh, mary was told that, you know and scripture says it that you're going to have this baby and she's like what what's up with that and so there you have it and on the ride to school today my sons were talking and and uh my son said i think tomorrow is that feast day the older son and my and my um son the younger son in the back seat said of course it is it's nine months from now Yes. is Christmas. And the point here is life started. It, it, Jesus didn't become uh, available like at six months when viability kicked in. Right. I mean, scripture says that Mary was told, you know, this is you have this baby and it's going to be our savior. So what a great thing to be doing that on the 25th and uh, and to be lined up for folks. Um, Karen, yes. uh, people are going to watch this. They're going to be inspired. 
then for this effort, for what you're doing, can they get, can they get, I know that um, David has a, a blog, which is very impressive. Um, what, what can they do to get engaged to, you know, they're going to be another one next year, but is there something that you want to encourage them to do? Uh, maybe just get involved in the, in the group near their home or these groups that you did, or I, I kind of want to make sure people know something to do. Yes. Thank you for that. And, and yes, I, I, by on the way, uh, sorry, by the way, on the Feast of the Annunciation or Solemnity of the um, Annunciation, I am Catholic too. And yes, this is fact <laughs> it's landing on this amazing day. And that's why the day of the unborn child was right. set to be on right. March 25th at Intersex. Right. Um, so what a great thing to do tomorrow. And you're yeah. right for one hour. Yeah. Um, okay. To get involved, we have a weekly podcast show now called mm-hmm. the the National Prayer Lunch of Your Life Pro-Life Impact Show. Mm-hmm. So you can, you know, people can subscribe to that to keep up with and, and learn about more of the amazing pro-life organizations. If you, anyone who wants to sign up, I will be sending out a weekly email to Good. for people who have, who have signed up to come tomorrow. People can subscribe whenever they want, but absolutely we'll be in touch. And if people are in their local area and looking for who to get connected with in their local area, we are happy to help. We are here to serve and to help connect everyone everybody and do exactly what our mission is. And that's accelerate, you know, yeah. elevate, yeah. celebrate and accelerate, but also unite, pray, unite and save lives. We're all about what can we do to more, to accelerate, moving the ball down the field and into the end zone. That's mm-hmm. what it's all about. So mm-hmm. we welcome everybody and we'll help in any way that we can. Well, Karen Garnett, thank you for taking the time. I know it's busy. It's just an hours from now you'll be starting. So again, for everyone, nationalprayerluncheonforlife.org. You can go sign up, which gets you in the loop on Karen's emails. And also you can watch it, watch it on their social media outlets, go through the same thing, nationalprayerluncheonforlife.org. And also, I assume, and I know it's true, it'll be posted. You can watch it after the fact. It'll be available either on those social media channels or somewhere soon after. So thanks again, Karen. God bless you on your effort. And we'll talk again after hopefully you'll recover. You can take half a Monday off and then get back to work. Okay. Right. Well, you know, you said you wanted, you wanted to hear uh, how it all went. So yeah, exactly. Well, all right. Thanks, Karen. God bless you. We'll take God a break. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is Joy Pullman. Joy Pullman is the executive editor of The Federalist, thefederalist.com. If you go there, lots of great writers. Uh, a couple days ago, uh, we had Elle Reynolds on uh, talking about one of her pieces. Just great, great writers, quality writers, quality thinkers. Joy Pullman is also an author. You can sign up. This is great, by the way, Joy. I did this. Sign up or to get early access to her next ebook, 101 Strategies for Living Well Amid Inflation, which is very important for me and my wife and our four kids uh, because everything's up. Milk is up. Every bread is up. Gas is up. And inflation is up. So um, and Joy is an author, has written a number of books. And as I just referred to with my kids, we were talking about there, she has six children. So she has to manage uh, a husband and six children. So she's busy. So welcome, Joy, to the program. How are you? I'm doing well. I was about to say, I think my husband manages me. Yeah, (laughs) well, (laughs) uh, you know, hey, Joy, you know, I should say this to you. Phyllis Schlafly, who we were talking about, she had six children. She has she she had said late Phyllis Schlafly had six children. And she used to say and she loved to say it. It made the uh, she used to say the women libbers went crazy. She would open her speeches and she would say, I would first of all like to thank my husband, Fred, for letting me be here tonight. (laughs) And they would go crazy. They would. (laughs) Isn't that great? Anyway, people have no, no understanding 
of what that's like and how true and crucial that is. But I, I understand that myself. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, Joy, when I first flagged this and I wanted to talk to you, you had written a piece, thefederalist.com, uh, and the title of which is The New York Times Doesn't Care If You Know That Big Tech Helped Rig Joe Biden's Election. And between then, mm-hmm. a few days ago and today, you wrote another piece called Did the New York Times Admit Joe Biden is Corrupt So Democrats Can Get Rid of Him? And I think that's a very helpful point, too. But so I got these two together now in my head. Joy, I want to mm-hmm. ask you, you're a writer. You've written books. You've, you've studied journalism. You're in at thefederalist.com. Just pulling back. We all have to, if you write and read a lot, understand that the New York Times does. It, it does have a history that puts it in, in a sort of anchor position of American journalism. But it's now so blatantly broken. I mean, it's almost like we're not really recognizing how pathetic this is. I mean, the New York Times, uh, you're right, it has a reputation that it does not deserve. I mean, there, uh, if you go back in journalistic archives, since you mentioned it, you yeah. know, the, the New York Times was, has been falsifying um, news for years. You know, they were one of the big um, cover-ups of the Soviet Union and communism during the Cold War. Right. You know, so they're basically, you know, they've been whitewashing mass murder <laughs> right. for many, many decades. This isn't a new thing that the New York Times is basically a bunch of regime behind coverers. Um, so, you know, we had another instance of that kind of happening recently that you and I are talking about with, you know, that finally, after, you know, after an election cycle in 2020, under which the exact same story was suppressed by big tech, was flagged as Russian information. Now, the New York Times, you know, finally, 18 months later, is affirming that, oh, by the way, you know, um, that that factoid about Hunter Biden's laptop, that's a real laptop. That's really Hunter Biden's. You know, they verified some of the emails on it, like many, many others had done it. And you know what? Since since I know that the New York Times is corrupt, I really don't think that, you know, the fact that, you know, they're admitting the truth now is uh, something to really celebrate, but to wonder why are they doing that? What's right. the tactical reason here? And that's why I wrote my article. Well, and then so in the middle of this piece, we're talking with Joy Pullman. Um, she's the executive editor of The Federalist, thefederalist.com. Towards the end of the first column I referred to, uh, which I'll put up on social media about big tech and The New York Times, you write this. Social media has become what the big three cable news networks were decades ago colon, mm-hmm. falsely nonpartisan manipulators of the elections. Now, what I want to say there is, yes, it, it, I want to ask you, big tech, for those of the kids that are listening, you know, there was a period where, you, you know, you watched the three big news networks and and sometimes PBS, but PBS, if you wanted to see Lawrence Welk, right? I mean, it wasn't like there was mm-hmm. a news. Bro- and so, and they dominated. And only in retrospect did we look back and say, huh, Walter Cronkite might not have been a communist, but he was definitely skewing things. And, and who was picking what the news was, sometimes the CIA, I mean, I think, and, we, and it mattered. Mm-hmm. Now we have big tech, though, um, and social media. But aren't they doing something even worse? I mean, you, you, I don't maybe I'm not maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's the same, but they're actually lying to us in fast enough time to reshape what people uh, understand is true. I, I I don't know. It's much more devious than. No, you're totally right. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I mean. So I actually think of social media as the new, you know, big media. Right. You know, so on the right, there's this long tradition of talking about the fact that you know the major corporations are heavily biased against the right, and we know, for example, um, the you know the uh, statistician Tim Grosskos documented that the media, you know, newspaper, big media, its effect on the American electorate is shifting them, you know, I think it was 15 points to the left. 
right. know, if, if we didn't have biased media, our, our elections would be basically like Texas elections. Right. The, um, um, and, and, and so, I mean, so in this, in this country, social media is now taken over, I guess, that <laughs> scary, you know, mantle of yeah. um, basically deciding what we're allowed to see. And by selectively choosing what information Americans are allowed to learn, then social media is also essentially controlling our entire political process. Well, and in and, and this case, it's almost like you get the example, we get the Hunter, or not the example, you, well, but you get the, the, um, the Hunter Biden laptop, which now New York Times admits was fake. And then therefore, big tech and everybody else rushed to stop the dissemination of it back three weeks before the election, mm-hmm. therefore impacting the election. But one step further, it, that's the one we see. I hate to say it like this. That's the dog that actually did bark. It's the dogs that aren't barking that you can't even tell. Yep. And, and, and so, and, and I go one further. And again, we're talking with Joy Pullman of the federalist.com. Uh, they also, with social media, they're using, really using neuroscience. I feels like Walter Cronkite was using like s- s- slogans and, and ling- uh, marketing jingles. And now they're using neuroscience on, frankly, on you and me, maybe we don't fall for it because we think we're too smart. We're really not. But but most Americans are being just worked over by the algorithms and by the neuroscience. Here's my question, Joy. What do we do? I mean, what's the path out of this? Phyllis Schlafly, you know, we both were talking about her off the air. She used to write these books and she'd say, I have to write the book. Uh, Who killed the American family? She said, I wrote eight chapters. What's wrong? Who killed it? And she said, now I got to now. Now the hard part is what do we do about it? So what do we do about this, Joy? Well, I mean, I think there's two basic things. There's what you and I can do individually, and there's what we must demand that our representatives take care of for us. You know, so it's obvious that the Republican Party, because that's the only one that's going to do it. Not right. that I think they're that great, but they got to get their <laughs> behinds in gear and prioritize right. um, this rigging of the electoral process against, you know, their own voters and against just straight up open discourse, um, you know, and, and, you know, it's, it's American to be able to discuss and argue so that we can have a good debate before we decide at the ballot box. That is not happening. That's un-American straight up. So they need to ensure that that happens by taking on the monopolies of big tech that are destroying that American capability and the integrity of our election. And so the second thing that, you know, you and I have to do is like, we just have to, I, I individually do this. We have to control our social media use and advocate, you know, for our, our, our friends, our kids, our relatives, to not to fight the social media addiction, to not believe what you see on TV, to not believe what you see on social media, because you know if you're looking at something, it was decided by people you don't know and cannot trust, you know, and, and they have an agenda about what they want you to do in response to the information they're feeding to you and your kids' brain. Yeah. So, you know, I think really people should spend other things, spend their lives on other things than Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and all the rest, have real and meaningful relationships and conversations. Um, in your own private life and develop that, um, you know, that nourishment for your mind and your soul in your own life as well. Uh, again, we're talking with Joy Pullman, and she is the uh, executive uh, editor of The Federalist, thefederalist.com, uh, an author in her own right, her own books. Um, check her, her uh, website out. Uh, check her out on, on these two articles where I'll post. Um, Joy, in the second piece about uh, Joe Biden, I have a friend that met with Donald Trump about a year and a half or two years before the election and in a private moment asked um, the president, they were talking about who would run against him. And the president said he thought it would be Biden because Biden would be the most useful kind of candidate for the left to use. They couldn't afford to get mm-hmm. too strange looking to, you know, you can't Cory Booker, whatever. Every, the president didn't say any of this, by the way. This is me describing what, what I think was part of it. Joe Biden was 
a, a Manchurian candidate of the kind that you could yeah. say, you know, he's he's kind of calm. I mean, he seems to be brain dead, but he's calm. And he, Uncle Joe, you know, from Scranton, we all know the guy that kind of says dumb things and, and sniffs people's hair. I don't know. Maybe we don't. But you get the point. Your piece says <laughs> he's no longer useful to the ruling class. Will they will they really dump Joe Biden? You know, I don't know. I'm just trying to. Yeah, I mean, so I again, I read the American news, honestly, like I read or I don't read Pravda, but like, you know, Soviet <laughs> president used to read Pravda. Right. What is the official party's message and why are they, you know, trying to communicate this to me yeah. right now, right? Right, right. So you have to read between the lines. And so I don't know what's going on with the Democrat Party, but it, you know what is very clear is that Joe Biden was an asset for them. He was basically a Trojan horse. They could, you know, make him put a nice, happy face on their fascism. <laughs> right. You know, their new version of, of totalitarianism that they want to impose on the country. And that was, convenient and necessary for them to win against Donald Trump. So now he is in office. His poll numbers are tanking. He is a disaster as, you know, as uh, actually governing. He's not actually governing. It's a total mess. You know, basically his presidency is a dumpster fire and we're barely one year into it. Right. So, you know, this is making the polls look so bad that Democrats really couldn't, you know, even claim, you know, to pull off wins um, in at least the midterms and possibly, you know, the next presidential election. So they do care about polling. They do care about public opinion. And this Joe Biden is creating a problem for them that they have to solve. And one way of doing that would be to get rid of him. Um, and, and But the only problem with that is that, of course, his replacement is liked by voters even less when they get a look <laughs> at her. So that put yeah. them in a bind. Yeah. Well, it's almost impossible. I don't know. I, I don't know if it could be her. I think they they have to maybe do a, um, you know, uh, a deus ex uh, Gavin Newsom or something to try to, uh, you know, to spin this around. But I don't know how they do that. I think you're right. It, they, they have a whole bunch of people that say, how could you do that to Kamala Harris? Um, all right. I've got to run, unfortunately. Joy Pullman, executive editor of The Federalist, thefederalist.com. I'll put up the two pieces that we've just discussed here. And again, you can go get her newest ebook is coming out soon. 101 Strategies for Living Well Amid Inflation. By the way, why 101? Oh, just because it sounds, you know, it's a common number. I, I actually haven't I decided whether it will be exactly 101 or not. <laughs> I, want to encur- I want to encourage you because the great Phyllis Schlafly, I'm looking at a book she didn't publish that she began to write in 2000, and it's called 101 Ways to Steal an Election. And I don't know why I don't oh, know. Nice. She, she's not around. So I can't ask her why she did 101. It's probably just genius like you and her. These these uh, great women writers think alike. So thanks, Joy. I, I, we appreciate it. And we'll talk again soon. All right. Thank you. Bye bye. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. and We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast launched by Phyllis Schlafly, who served as an articulate voice for traditional values for more than 70 years. Upholding that legacy and himself an author, national speaker, and attorney, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The truth of abortion is ugly, and the pro-abortion crowd knows it. That's why they've become masters at the art of veiling this ugly truth behind the thin veil of comprehensive reproductive health. The line goes something like this. Sure, we kill babies in abortion, but that's not all we do. We provide prenatal care and help mothers make decisions for themselves. This line might sound convincing, and that's especially true when abortionists double down on it like they did in Memphis, Tennessee. According to a report from Live Action, the poorly named Choices Clinic in Memphis is building an on-site playground. This stunt plays into the narrative that abortion clinics can be family-friendly by offering a variety of services. 
Let's look at the facts about what services the Choices Clinic offers. According to their most recent annual report, Choices facilitated a total of 45 births. By comparison, they facilitated 2,399 abortions in that same year. As far as I'm concerned, it doesn't look like they're offering real choices at all. Yet they continue to spread the lie that comprehensive reproductive health is somehow more than just trying to pressure poor women into killing their children through abortion. The on-site playground may well be a new ploy for the abortionists, but they have other tricks up their sleeves as well. You probably heard Planned Parenthood's lie that abortion is only 3% of what they do. They justify that phony statistic by treating every abortion as one service, while treating every pack of condoms they give out as an equal service. Of course, this makes no sense. An abortion can involve costly medical procedures, while a pack of condoms costs a dollar or two. That's like a car dealership claiming to be a candy store because of a vending machine in the lobby. It just doesn't work. We all know why abortionists are so eager to reframe what they do as family-friendly. Abortion is the killing of an innocent child, and any American with a conscience should recoil at the idea of celebrating such barbarity. No playground in the world can hide the ugly truth of abortion. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Despite the outrageous pro-abortion stance of many liberals, the vast majority of American people value human life. More than ever, pro-life voices need to stay vigilant and be heard. At phyllisschlafly.com, we're not backing down. Please, join us in the battle for life at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, well, let's finish up. I have to tell you a quick story. I have not watched a lot of the Judiciary Committee hearings uh, for Judge Jackson live. I just watch for clips, right? It's just easier to do it that way. I think a lot of people do nowadays. In fact, I sometimes don't even watch for clips on the internet. I just look for social media clips. But I watched a number of clips of Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey. Now, you remember, Cory Booker of New Jersey is the guy who, during the Kavanaugh hearings, he actually said, this is my Spartacus moment. I don't know if you remember that. He said, it's his Spartacus moment. I'm not sure what the beeping is. Pardon me. I'm, let me check here. Um, he said... Uh, my Spartacus moment. I am Spartacus or whatever it was. And, and then as in the judge and Jackson hearings, he has been similarly hysterical, except actually in full sentences and for two or three minutes at a time. He's actually acting out hysterically. And it struck me that he is the fruit of what we have in this country of the TikTok generation. That he's just grandstanding, but he's not even grandstanding. It's one thing to ask, like Ted Cruz will ask a hard question and he'll put somebody on the spot and he'll he'll be clever about the language. Cory Booker does the opposite. He's, he's not dumb, right? He went to Stanford. He was a football player at Stanford. I think he was a Rhodes Scholar maybe. I mean, he's not dumb, but he, he actually goes for this shrill, uh, kind of hysterical, overwrought type of presentation that it's just... It's, it's embarrassing, honestly. It's embarrassing for the country that this is a senior senator, but it works for him. 
you know, he's in a safe state, New Jersey. He's never going to have a real primary unless he goes to a uh, conservative, which he doesn't do. He's very liberal. So his whole thing is he's just playing for his sort of fame and his crowd and his people, his his um, fan base. It's not a political base. He didn't do very well in the in the primary for president. He ran for president. Didn't go very well. But it's it's more about just a a um, a kind of cult of personality that he plays up to. It, to me, it's mortifying to watch. It's so embarrassing, but it is what he's doing, and he does it fine. I mean, he does it well, actually. If you want to play as sort of a weirdo, you know, kind of a guy who's overwrought and emotional and dramatic, it's he does it, and he does it. He nails it. I mean, again, I find it embarrassing, but that's a different... Uh, that's me, right? So that's why I'm not doing what he does. So anyway, all right, everybody. I wanted to get to that, and if you get a chance, you can watch it and shake your head in, uh, in disbelief. Uh, thank you, as always, to our great uh, producer of the show, Noah Dingley. Noah says he'll be back next week, a segment with Noah. Uh, thank you also to Joanna Spilger for helping book our guests. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, uh, to get all these segments there, and also sign up for our daily email. I'll be back tomorrow. I'm Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.